Welcome back, Warhorse Podcast, episode 17, January 4th, 2022. The website is goldengoatguild.net, Golden Goat Guild on Instagram. I am coming to you as always from the Warhorse, my Dodge. 3500 loaded up with weapons and gear and dogs. My Sig Sauer 230, that's right, 380. My Winkler operator in the left pocket. My Benchmade 710 in the right. Shorty AR in the back with all of its concomitant pieces of kit. If you are not aware, Golden Goat Guild is in the midst of a collaboration with Mr. Daniel Winkler of Winkler Knives to create the Golden Goat Guild edition of the operator. I've carried knives professionally and otherwise for I don't know, 30 years. Not all of that was professional. Um, But that professional application was very serious. And we've talked about that in other episodes that you can check out. In that experience, um, my tendency towards open-mindedness allowed me to experiment with all types of combinations of bladed tools. Ultimately, what I really arrived at was, I guess it's a three, it's a four blade system. Um, one of those blades on a Leatherman that's never used. One of those blades on a woods, you know, a woodsman's, you hear all different types of names. It's usually a, a two foot, very portable axe and or tomahawk. And the last two blades are small, extremely usable, extremely durable, um, very, 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 very well tested and proven, and also, you know, affordable blades. Why affordable? Musashi tells us, you know, don't have don't get yourself involved in this collecting of weaponry. Ultimately, he's saying keep the amount of weaponry that's appropriate for you. For me, um, and my you know financial, uh, social, experiential skill set, all these places in life that where I find myself now, 
the one is none, two is one rule is I utilize that on what I, what I think of as essential kit. And um, that would include these, these two blades that we're, we're left with to describe. Personally, one is the Winkler operator and the other is generally some type of bushcraft knife. So kind of the most legendary I think is called the bush lore. But there are innumerable um, variations on this. Essentially it's a 4.5 to 5 inch blade, a comfortable grip, You'll find them in all different types of steel, um, Scandi grind, with you know your your basic drop point tip. Nothing tanto, nothing recurve, none of this sort of shit. So all of that goes with me when I go in the woods every day. The operator goes with me everywhere I go all the time. And for most, you know, camp bait, well, we won't say camp, but let's say wood-based or material-based uses, I'm going to turn to this, you know, something like the wood lore Personally, and I've put this up on Instagram before, I have a penchant for um, the Gary Wines Bushcrafter. It requires some modifications that we've gone over before, or maybe we haven't gone over them before. We can if you're interested. Basically, you're going to want to grind down the grips because I think the deal is why you know, you're getting this fantastic blade very good steel, very good materials, and then it's almost as if the, the grip is unfinished. Some people may like that broomstick sort of round feel. I take it to a belt sander and sort of flatten both sides out and then shape it so it's very comfortable in my hand. So I have you know, multiples of those, multiples of all of these various blades. Who knows, maybe someday we will um, approach Gary Wines about doing something as well. That would be sweet. I'm just interested in working with people who make, you know, impressive and well thought out, high quality stuff. I'm more interested in that than I am making a dollar off of any of these things. I need to get better at that side of it. So I'm very excited to just simply, you know, work with Mr. Winkler in this collaboration. It's going to be, it's going to be sweet. His sheaths are, you know, kind of far and away the best in, in the industry, maybe in the world. Um, leather on the outside, leather on the inside, kydex in the middle, molded very good retention, yet a totally silent draw. All sorts of grips, grip materials, whatever. The grip material we're using is a very attractive sort of coyote color, which he's not used 
um, that I know of on, on any other of his blades. He does great work in maple. Um, I have the horse mat and I have a micarta in kind of a reddish color. It's very nice. As well, the other two modifications we're making, multiple stamps on the blade, including the Golden Goat Guild logo and the Winkler uh, logo. And we're modifying the sheath just a little bit. Instead of the standard clip that he makes his knives available with, we're dialing it back to a single belt clip that can be used on your pocket. Discrete carry systems is the one I'm familiar with. We may or may not use their clips. Um, we may provide a couple of different options. They make short, long, medium, super small, super big, all types. Not entirely sure yet. So you can check that out on Patreon. There's some um, some verbiage pertaining to this collaboration as well on Instagram. You can DM me if you're interested. I doubt that it will happen again. I'm not sure um, when, when we'll get rolling on this. It'll basically be when we fill the order, we will go. As well, other collaborations are in the works. If, you're, if you are impressed with this one, you are going to be floored with some of the others, as am I. I'm not going to speak about them yet until they are manifested, as the microcovens say, into reality, uh, which they are, they are nearing. Peregrine Precision is once again our sponsor peregrine-precision.myshopify which I think can be found on Instagram and um, it's a separate company that I own we are making as far as I can tell the world's best urns the the compliments are uniform you know in terms of feedback that I've received they're beautiful they're timeless. Um, we're incorporating a lot of firearms aesthetics, if you will. Some of the old time finishes, um, the materials, etc. And there are a couple options depicted on the website, as well as the Peregrine Precision account on Instagram that you can check out. However, there are many more um, combinations, shapes, sizes, materials that are on the way. So we did like an hour-long infomercial last week. So if you're interested, go check that out. We won't repeat it. All right, getting into the meat of our discussion. pertaining once again to the Roberto Bolaño-inspired slog of practicality that is roughly episodes 11 through 20, this chapter. We'll, um, 
we'll be moving on into a much, much different sort of flavor um, around that 20 episode mark, which I'm excited for. It's going to change the dynamic a lot and the form of the whole show will have to shift a bit. Continuing in this practicality vein, related to collapse, related to the nightmare hellscape shithole that we all live in. If you deny that, you're retarded. Hit pa, hit, you know, just leave the podcast now. When we start down this road, I think most of us, and, and, you know, there's no end to the hard time that, uh, you, you know, everybody receives about buying too much gear. You know, you have 20,000 rounds of ammo, but you have no nods. You have 15 rifles, but you have no ammo, et cetera, et cetera. And everybody goes about this their own way. We're, we hopefully will see, you know, where the chips fall for all of us. My personal predilection is just get this fucking shit started with so I don't have to piss away the rest of my life watching it, you know, swirl the, swirl the tank. Clearly nobody's listening to Andrew Edwards about this, so we have to be prepared for virtually everything if we are actually going to, uh, you know, be responsible and accountable for our duties, our loved ones. Well, in this process, you inevitably come up against one adage, admonition, a truism, and it's kind of like the mother of them all, where you, you have to face down the fact that while the lone wolf has a lot going for him, and I think that approach takes way more shit, largely due to the popularity of the Manor Bund as, you know, depicted in no, nothing against Jack Donovan or his thinking here, but, you know, the gang, the way of men is very, it's like an appealing, he made it, he marketed it in a, in such a way that I, I would, I would give the nod to him in terms of popularizing it as a crucial a crucial survival uh, strategy, honestly. But, and even though, you know, I do, I do end up largely agreeing, I mean, how are you going to argue against the manor bund? Why would you even try? The lone wolf takes too much shit. And the lone wolf, to me, is somebody who eventually winds up in some type of manor bund. You know, or he he walks some other path, you know, towards his fate. But in in either event, the reality is that finding, creating, organizing, whatever, a manor bund out of uh, the human materials available to us in this. Um, 
in this vast continent of, uh, you know, constructed mostly of roads to the temples of commerce and the byways in between them. To say nothing of the centuries-long atomization, the intentional destruction of uh, ethnic cultures, Little Italy, what have you. To say nothing of the intentional destruction of the family unit, public education, feminism, lady get a job. Enough said. Cobbling yourself together, a survival band has, you know, quite a few considerations. I mean, one, is it even possible? Two, what do I have to do um, personally to be worthy of that? Three, how am I going to find them? Four, what influence do I really have? What's the organizational structure? Etc. Etc. What are the logistics? Um, this is an ongoing con- uh, conversation that may be ongoing. You know, even after we're dead and gone, who knows the real timeline here? My hope, just as the last little uh, note on this, is to uh, create or either be invited into such structure that my sons and you know the children of my um my manor bund my my friends what have you some structure is built to pass on to them probably uh sort of like multi-hybrid um model and probably something that We'll have the flavor of uh, war bands that came before, but we'll, given the technological considerations, given the the density of population, given the diversity of populations, given the vastness of at least this country, the United States, to say nothing of what the hell will happen in Europe or New Zealand or Australia or fuck Japan for this matter, Russia. In this particular episode, I want to offer up for you guys, for your consideration, um, this is not, I mean, virtually none of this entire show, you know, is meant to be advice or some of it is, I suppose, some of it I'm genuinely, you know, I have evidenced expertise in it over time such that I could qualify it as advice. However, a lot of this is just offering up, you know, the treasures that somebody with this particular combination of open-mindedness and um, propensity for violence, if you will, and then propensity for contemplation, if you will, whatever, this little combination that arrives to you in this voice, um, it's more to offer and share these things for your consideration. This one in particular, 
as usual, I would be shocked if any other vaguely tactical or um, survival-oriented podcast or outlet would really touch on. And that's to the good. So what I'm referring to uh, was created by a fellow named Dr. Gottman, a Jewish man who I believe practiced in Seattle for something like 40 years. He studied something in the arena of 40,000 married couples over you know, various varying lengths of time and settings, contexts, what have you. He's sort of a, a research guy. Excuse me while I crack the hermetic, the hermetic seal between our magic world and the outside hellscape. Okay, that's done. And uh, Dr. Gottman went on to write, I don't know how many books, and uh, start purveying his wares, his, his uh, I guess, interpersonal products. <sighs> Kiefer, the champagne of dairy. Highly recommend. And among these wares, um, were a couple of books that I ended up reading at a certain point in life to expand my knowledge, understanding of interpersonal relationships. Of course, I'm skeptical. How could you not be? But in discussing this um, with all sorts of people, including therapists, counselors, Though I was not, you know, engaged in the sort of couples counseling that's usually associated, I think, with Gottman, the Gottman Method, his various um, conflict resolution strategies and the like, it's, it's applicable to the individual. And if you have the opportunity, you know, if you have a wife, a girlfriend, even friends, if you have coworkers no matter who it is, if you are able to parse, you know, if you can take what you need and leave what you don't, I found that there was quite a bit of like raw data information packed into this. I think it was a couple that I read, uh, one main one, as well as several strategies, templates, I suppose, for, for conflict resolution and communicating under dicey circumstances. The sad reality that I've come to accept at this point is that First Blood was a movie, you know, and I'm, I'm really not going to get the opportunity, most likely, I'm still hoping for bits and pieces of it to manifest in my life to live out this lifelong um, passion, if you will, my love for the, this particular heroic figure. However, 
as we as we sort of alluded to earlier more important to me than my own fetishized and um, fanciful notions of what you know my cunning and athletic prowess may produce under certain pressures more important to me now is the survival of and the prospering you know the genuine progress or advancement let's say from what I am able to model for my sons and God willing any children you know who come after them being able to communicate and um, give them those opportunities I communicate let's say to describe the world and why these you know why is it this way I mean fuck it's it's not it's not very conducive to certainly most children's conceptions of um, of value but <laughs> I think most of the more sane among us as well would agree with the children on this one so with that said you know with our pillars here of our actual duties the actual realities of collapse being what they are which is the fact is that not all groups who get together you know a quote community and get some urban gardens going and um, have a local communist clinic or what have you none of this it's not just like generic community which of course would be what generic consumer individuals alive now would immediately produce what we've harped on now for a few I don't know maybe many episodes is this concept of the individual system of value we went pretty deep into the metaphysics of this uh, about as deep as as I can go though I think there's one more layer Um, I'm still working on it where we ultimately spill out is you know on the shores of logistics and the interpersonal and it is my belief that though I despise and I'm disgusted by mimicry in your kind of everyday social context I have allowed for the fact that you know it's still part of our being children learn a lot from mimicry the conscious ap- application thereof I've got no problem with it's a learning skill and we should not jettison it at all the propensity or because it's hard to say if we're talking about behavioral patterns part of the mold that we pick up or adhere to us or you know it's just this kind of resultant residue um, after this 
multi-pronged destruction of the the family unit, the individual, the the regional and national societies. Right? So, you know, were these behavioral patterns healthier in 1890? It's really, even though I would like to say, yes, everything was easier, everything was more um, right and true and organic and simple and beautiful, we don't really know that. And again, fanciful notions of returning to, um, you know, the woods, not trying to brag, but I'm pretty sure that even at my age, I am in the top very rarefied percent of people that is um, prepared mentally, physically, and in terms of experience to go out there and make it happen. But it's not, uh, unless conditions are ideal, you know, how, how exactly is that sustainable over generations? So... There are always these unknown questions, personally, I imagine, for for you fellers as well. So, we're coming around to the point of this introduction to Dr. Gottman. Um, And I guess we'll do the, you know, more explicit caveat. I do not in any way confirm or advocate for or support the worldview of the entirety of Dr. Gottman, his wife, or any of the institutes and associations generally um, glomming on to his work. You know, in the same way that there are great movies, um, while most of them are shit, and sometimes even the great director is still a shit-lib, degenerate, etc., I'm just setting all of that aside for this discussion to say that according to, um, well, according to my understanding of, of what's put forth in these books by Mr. Gottman, marriages tend to fail uh, due to some pretty consistent reasons. And insofar as these kind of negative consistencies are identifiable, you know, some countermeasures, some saving techniques, etc., um, arrive, right? The negative arrives with the positive or vice versa. So diving in um, to Mr. Gottman's theories, based again on some pretty serious scientific observation over a long period of time, he refers to these things called the four horsemen of like, you know, the marital, the marital apocalypse. And again, I'm, I'm putting this out in terms of, yeah, um, this is useful for marriage. Imagine normal marriage Right, my favorite is my favorite quote is from the saints, 
Um, if you go and be a monk, you're going to wish that you were married. If you go and get married, you're going to wish that you're a monk. And then the kind of uh, less orthodox one is something like, go ahead and get married. You'll either become happy or you'll be a philosopher. I mean, these are jokes, right? But my experience is that personal relationships, um, you know, long-lasting relationships with, with women, marriages, what have you, my belief is that they require work. You know, they require sort of cultivation and maintenance and a regular schedule of self-evaluation and why? Well, that's kind of a really important question, right? Because I think one view has it that as, you know, Rust Cole in um, True Detective season one states, it's just about the kids. This is a guy who uh, literally, you know, spews out uh, antinatalist and, you know, the ultimate nihilistic sorts of theories and Nietzschean uh, fucking twilight language and all sorts of shit. He's a character. He's a creation. However, there's, you know, an element of truth to the statement. And, but it's an element. It's not the entirety, in my opinion, of the thing. The Orthodox Church proposes that marriage is one of the, I think it's seven sacred mysteries. And your salvation as an individual is basically worked out within that marriage. The monk path, it seems, you know, I, there's this prevailing kind of unspoken belief that... Um, kind of a strange person, right, goes into the monastery. Autistic, fake and gay, traumatized, who knows, right? But I really am, I personally don't view it that way. There are definitely some instances where you gotta, you gotta wonder, but I think that the monastery was set up uh, as this, in at least in Orthodox terms, this beautiful, actually integrated um uh, like a component that's integrated into the larger society, the larger theology. And I have a lot of admiration for monks. Um, and I have, you know, my own personal predilections that way. The warrior's way, you know, perhaps it's clear now, at least in my view, that the warrior's way... Um, shares a great deal with, you know, the monk's path. A martial monastery where, oh, not to be too dramatic, but I will just do it like uh, goodness and love and trust and human kindness, you know, sorge, are preserved by some sort of integrated character. He, he has integrated both the qualities of the priest or the monk and those of, you know, the warrior, the pirate, 
the rogue, the scoundrel. How would that work? Well, I mean, how does anything work? We don't know yet, but that's 400 or 4,000 years down the line. That's my, that's my vision. And so that's to say, if you, you know, are not married, fine, you know, good, whatever. I'm not, I don't make a real value judgment on that personally. Um, but this stuff is still applicable in my experience. While the married couple may carry with it this combination of like um, interdependence, um, physical love, large amounts of time, proximity, trust. You know, several of those or all of those um, are immediately applicable to other relationships. And there's something about this idea that, you know, you find your salvation through marriage. I guess maybe the simple, most reasonable, least metaphysical way to spin it would be to say the kind of insights um, on yourself and how you relate um, to others that are in your circle. You know, personally, maybe the reason I'm not a monk is because, you know, one, they haven't made the right monkhood. That's heretical, I guess, but there seems to be to be, uh, you know, something like the masses and the remnant or a stratification between I, I liked for a while the, you know, the woke and the sleep, but now it's, it's become all convoluted and stupid as well. So simply stated, perhaps it's, you know, the inner circle beyond the perimeter. We don't know them. We don't know what they're up to. We don't know what their intentions are. And we know that people are fallen, all of us, even inside the circle. And speaking of inside the circle, so you're inside a marriage, you both are broken too. Um, we, you know, dismiss with the idea that you found the one, of course, here again is something the red pill was right about. And then immediately we're juxtaposing with a bunch of shit that they didn't even apparently consider. Within the marriage, you know, if I'm broken and my wife is broken, not to make this, we're not going to go into my own personal um, peccadillos, nor, of course, my wife's. But this is the case with uh, the general, the principle that we're beginning from down to the instantiations is that we're all going to come with um, a brokenness that is on a spiritual level. And then we're, at present anyway, coupling this with learned dysfunctional behavior patterns. And I mean, most people probably don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about. But we're talking about strange things like uh, 
acting out in ways to get certain types of attention using methods that seemed like, quote, love in your childhood. I mean, that's just like virtually spastic, guaranteed to fail sort of shit. One, you're not a kid anymore. Two, you probably didn't interpret that context of, quote, love as a child correctly. Three, it may or may not have been, it right, it probably fell on some type of spectrum of love, if it fell on the spectrum at all, this presumably parental um, or inner circle modeling that was done for us as children. So we won't go into the vast permutations of, of these patterns, but suffice it to say that we all have them, if only due to the fact that if you carry forward with what you had as a child, you know, again, if we had this super homogenized regional local culture, it probably would be more applicable because when you when it came time to grab your wife, that culture, the shared patois, the shared expression, the shared physicality even, you know, would all be somewhat similar. But now, even if you marry a girl from high school, the chances are, I mean, you don't want to spend, obviously, a lifetime, you know, stuck in the, uh, the culture of high school. And, but that's not the point. The point is, even if you did find, uh, you know, a, a great marriage with somebody who grew up near you, the differences in the variations on these behavioral patterns would not necessarily jive, nor would they even be guaranteed to be entirely functional. So as general, you know, the hippies have their point. I mean, the phrase we're on a journey is at the very bottom of the bin of phrases, nonetheless, you know, we're, we're stuck in this, in this position. So we can either acknowledge these insufficiencies and decide to do nothing about it. We can acknowledge them and decide to do something and we can ignore them, you know? And, um, if you're in the category that determines I better up my game. That's kind of the whole introduction to what are ultimately kind of simple concepts that I have worked and continue to work on incorporating into my awareness, if you will. Can you seed them into your deep self? Maybe that's what saints do. I'm not really sure, but um, it's my belief that children, and I think this is proven, another Jordan Petersonian uh, factoid, which we already knew, even though now that Jordan Petersonian has said it, it's even more true, right? That um, children do best in stable families with a male father and a female mother. Big surprise there. 
And so to say nothing of your, you know, your personal, well, we, we just said some, but we recognize that your personal satisfaction, your wife's personal satisfaction, these are key not only in your own kind of satisfaction and happiness, but they're key to the development of your children. And so if we're talking about a manor bund and we're talking about coordinating something, you know, we're very dispersed at this point in the conversation, but this is how the novelist approaches things. You don't decide, well, I'm just going to start a school and it's going to base it on like uh you know, Roman, uh, some some shit that they did in Rome that I got off uh, the internet and it's going to be fucking badass. Okay, buddy, go for that. You do that. What my personal um, approach would be, you know, it's going to be as far, where's the boundary? Where's the left boundary, the right boundary, etc. I'm going to go all the way out there and check that out first. And I'm going to start closing in. And so in closing in, one of these things that I found... Um, you know, is this Gottman stuff. So back to his four horsemen, you know, of like the marriage apocalypse. It's basically criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and what he calls stonewalling, which is pretty much just withdrawing from any type of interaction. And I think that the, the idea is that if these are present in... You know, it's a little difficult to quantify, but in significant enough amounts, they say, to notice and be pissing you or your wife off, then they need to be addressed and they can be addressed. You know, it's not just a case of, um, well, you know, you're, you're, you're dealing with this evolutionarily, you know, concretized nine billion years of monkey humping. Uh, guarantee no I'm sorry you're, you're fucking not well you know I would allow for like self-awareness why didn't the monkey have you know any self where did the self-awareness arrive was that like 1900 was that a million years was that 10 million years ago the evolutionary you know when that is um, the explanatory power of just a purely evolutionary um, based worldview is deployed, uh, I've made this clear before, my, my suspicion rises. And so you find this now, right? I mean, the fucking incels are 24 years old and have concluded what philosophers have been arguing about and coming to no reasonable conclusion for all of our 3,000 year history. So, Nick Fuentes, shut the fuck up. Um, he has, you know, in my notes here, there are a variety of techniques that serve to kind of... One, if you're not experiencing, you know, significant amounts of these, as he calls them, four horsemen of the apocalypse, I mean, the practices that he suggests... You know, to say that you, it's no different than, um, you know, making sure you have a budget and you stick to it. It's no different than having a will and making sure your shit's lined out. It's no different than any other area of responsibility. Uh, you know, this is how I view it because it's not, 
exactly ingrained in my being to carve off, you know, a bit of time to, as he says, like build a love map. You know, what is a love map? I think basically a love map, if I recall correctly, is, you know, your knowledge of, of your partner, your wife, or expanding this out, your, um, those people in your war band. Okay, so hopefully we're, you know, that alone, I'm going to say it again. So it says love map. Well, we don't necessarily need to go through the contortions to talk about love within a manor bund. You know, is that love direct? Is it extended? Is it, um, uh, what do they call it? Damn, it's not coming to me. It's like the brotherly love. Um, apage is all I, but I, I don't think that's quite right. Um, you guys know it. Brotherly love. Um, well, in my friendships, and I have about, according to common wisdom, I'm like four times or something uh, better off than most people because I have about six great friends that I've had for, you know, more than 15 years, some of them going back 35 years, um, or more even, now that I think about it, who I know, and I think I've mentioned this earlier, you know, will show up with the proverbial shovel in line. Well, if you don't have 15 years, or, you know, three tours, or... I don't know how long it would take to bond at an office job, but let's say, you know, 80 years such that you could get there. Um, it may, you know, behoove us as, as individuals concerned with the survival of ourselves and our loved ones to look for ways that something like this can be applicable. So running through the, the rest of them, we'll see if any stand out as, um, Totally homo and impossible. Share fondness and admiration. Um, um, seems okay. Turn towards, not away. And in marriage, this is real obvious. You know, it goes to the stonewalling idea where it's like, now nah, fuck it, I'm not going to engage. Well, if you have a problem among men, um, you definitely turn towards it. You know, you confront each other, you ask about it. Is there a right and a wrong way to do that? Well, yeah, there definitely is based on that individual and based on your like emotional equilibrium of course carrying on um the positive perspective you know this is kind of kind of obvious kind of a generality or, or a general um it's a point of view right like you can look at the negative in people or you can look at the the potentially positive which in a manor bund, I mean, you know, in, in the creation of it, unless you are, even then, like even if your, your entire SF team came back and you all lived in the same neighborhood and all of your wives got along and all of your children got along and everybody made the same amount of money and everybody had the same religion, everybody had the same thinking on logistics, no fucking way. Like... It's 
the reason I think that none of none of this shit that's going to have to happen is actually fucking happening on any type of scale remotely uh, blipping on the radar is because people don't know how to do it and they're too ashamed to admit this and the powers that be absolutely know this and if you don't if you still are not on board with the conspiracy, then you have either misread or not read at all the work of Michael Hoffman and the work of E. Michael Jones as just two. Just read those two and tell me that we're not in a conspiratorial situation, much less, you know, go back to Norbert Wiener, go back to technocracy. Uh, spend a week on the website tragedyandhope.com and... If you're honest, well, then now you're a conspiracy theorist, okay? And if you're not, then you're circle jerking yourself, and that's fine. Is that the negative perspective? Uh, I think that's the masculine, and I think that's, you know, one of these differences between I can't necessarily say that or something like that to my wife and get the same response that I would hope to get from the guy who's going to, you know, hold on the bottom part of my leg after it's blown off and make a very dark joke so that we are going to roll the fuck on. Um, and those, these are these differences that the prevailing world right now, you know, wants to blend and blur and soften and we can't allow that to happen. So some differentiation here or uh, just one dude's effort to expand and expand these models out. So continuing on on the list here, manage conflict, take each other's feelings into account, you know, and learn to discuss problems. Managing conflict is actually like, I'm going to go to that when we close this hour because he has a very interesting model which was kind of the inspiration for even sharing this with you guys. Um, so this one is important in this list of, you know, I guess you call them techniques, you know, to build relationships, basically. And this one is make life, make life dreams come true. And, you know, if you're at the point where you're listening to the War Horse podcast and you are actively finding yourself agitated, like I think I do and I think most of us do, uh, maybe several evenings a week, you know, hopefully not that much, about um, the progress you're making. And I have the, you know, the vision of um, Luke and Han Solo in the trash compactor. The walls closing in, the time quickening, the stupidity reaching heretofore unimaginable levels, uh, the money printing as well reaching heretofore unimaginable levels, and just the you know general sort of um, trend towards giving up. I don't like that. I don't like that at all, and I'm not going to change that opinion ever. I don't like what Hoffman calls the amnesia, um, abulia, and apathy. So 
The last two in this list create shared meaning. Well, if we didn't make it clear, like make life dreams come true. Okay, I want my kids to survive. You do too. Um, I'm not going down as some soyed out faggot, uh, you know, shooting the vax and fucking eating the soy. And that's that. So how do I manage what appears to be a very dicey, potentially kinetic uh, contradiction in my life? Well, either we are the dudes to um, manufacture, you know, such a thing as a solution, or we're the dudes who didn't. And making other other people's life dreams come true, I mean, that's just a nice thing to do in general. Fuck, if I had the opportunity to, to just do that for somebody, even if it cost me a little bit, why wouldn't you do that? But m- more to the point, why wouldn't I do that for people that I love, and then also the people that, you know, I'm trusting to cover my my back uh, at, at the, quote, perimeter. Yeah, I want them to be happy. I want them to be solid. I want their lives to work out for them. I genuinely want that. I don't mean... Um, maybe, again, remnant in the masses. Okay, last two, create shared meaning. And I think what this is, you know, if you had a religion a common religion that would probably just stand right in there. But this also has to do with rituals and stories. And so this should go, hopefully, you know, some distance to, again, explain the multi-pronged, multi-dimensional, in my view, importance of the warrior's way. And uh, again, if you've not if you've gotten uh, this far in this podcast and, you know, you're interested, all of the Warrior's Way, we go in deep and long and hard. Episodes 8, 9, and 10, uh, like the main pillar in some sense of the point of this podcast. Lastly, trust and commitment. You know experience, training together, I mean, in a marriage, of course, having children together, um, having dinner together, showing up over and over and over, um, you know, ultimately you have to prove it. And I think that would be the same in a manner bun sort of situation. Let me check the time. 5.08, plenty of time, well, 5.08, excuse me, 58 So we have time to jump into this thing that he calls, I thought it was called the Gottman Method, but I'm not quite sure what it is. But it's essentially, it, it appears to me to be something that can be slightly modified. And you, we'll just take it in the context of a marriage because while I'm, you know, emphasizing this for the audience who they think is manner bun minded, I'm emphasizing it as well for those who are married or in relationships with females, or if you're if you're that one or two female who is a subscriber, God bless you. But um, you know, the vice versa. Of course this works and I think might be of interest to you too. So we'll take it under that sort of 
guys. And then if you choose to go and check this stuff out, again, I do highly recommend it. Um, I think you'll be more than capable of seeing how some pieces very easily translate out to other sorts of relationships, work, neighbor, warlord, uh, you know, down the, down the road, whatever. Guy that you need to make a deal with and need to trust that he's not going to fucking talk about it. So suggest, they have it in this little uh, note sheet here in this list as suggestions. So if you are in conflict, you know, and you need to resolve this, you need a model for conflict resolution. There are many of them out there. I don't really, I don't really like most of them because ultimately they're about power. And while power is fine, and you need to be, in my opinion, you know, well-versed in it, kind of um, the ways that it slithers and the ways that it slides, in a marriage, it's a fucking no-go. The power struggle, to me, if I were to add, you know, something to those four horsemen in, in my, you know, the terms that I would generally use, it would be, if I'm experiencing experiencing a power struggle that's something that I can identify and I know is not applicable in the context of a marriage what have you a relationship moving towards marriage whatever it's a bad it's a bad thing so we'll just blow through them suggestions take responsibility quote I share some responsibility in this complain without blame and state a positive need Here's how I feel about a specific situation, and here's what I need. And it's emphasis on, like, the positive need, not like, you know, I don't need you to, to fucking nag at me. Well, what I need you to do is speak calmly in, you know, complete sentences so that I can understand, or whatever. Uh, start with I instead of you. I statements seem to be less critical and don't put the listener on the defensive. In my understanding of this model, the main thing that you're shooting for here is to actually remove defensiveness, which is very hard. And you can see how it'd be almost, you know, if it's power involved, but it's, it's transactional, well, then you can, you can figure out, you can quantify it. However, if you're Let's just say your currency, you know, ain't quite square. Or if you're dealing with a barter system or any other um, world in which there's an issue quantifying a thing and it's not easily translated, power itself and the fear um, of losing it or giving it away could ultimately fucking be the difference between living and dying in a negotiation sense. The whole, you know, stepwise, long emergency collapse is not all going to be fucking recon missions and kicking doors in and, you know, sniper shots from 800 yards. And if it is, it might be a rather, you know, you might live through that step and not even know what the next one is. It's my opinion. Not to say I'm not all about that stuff. Clearly I am. But it's multiple pieces. 
and I'm trying to do a, another phrase that needs to die is the deep dive. We don't do deep dives. I'm going into a moderately detailed explication of this uh, method here that I think, you know, it, it has a lot of merit. So as I was saying, the main, I think, objective in some ways is to sort of limit or dispel defensiveness on each person's side. And among men, this is done one way. And among, you know, men and women, this is done another. Presumably, um, women, vis-a-vis -vis women, have yet a third way to go about it. But I'm still unaware of w what that would be. Uh, going down the list, describe what is happening. Don't judge or blame. Communicate what you see will help your partner from feeling attacked. So again, it's, it's actually these I statements or what have you are trying to like a limit, you know, a limiting on the you, you do this, you did that, well, you, you, whatever. I think it's based on this idea that most of the time, both parties do want to, do want to reach resolution. Clearly, they don't want to sit in conflict forever, particularly if the stakes are high. And so I think what this model offers for the marriage is like almost a ritual that you can engage with, learn how it works, and then it sort of facilitates that salvation that the Orthodox Church is referring to. And in other relationships, which probably also presumably have something to do with our salvation, I think it's giving you some serious insights into one, the nature of communication and the nature of conflict, but also like third, the nature of these childhood behavioral model patterns that we very briefly referred to earlier. And this is some serious, serious shit. If you do not think it is, Man, you have never even, you probably haven't been in a group of, um, of men because it's not as if like, well, men do this, Tilval Hall, fucking schools. It's just, it's more like, yeah, that's just, that's just veneer entire. And the second that you drop the fucking hoorah thing, you realize this guy is a passive aggressive fucking snake. This guy over here is a whiny bitch. That's what's wrong with him. It goes all the way through him. This guy over here is, will never, you know, shut up about his stuff. It's like he had to create a podcast almost even to fucking get it all out there. I'm joking, of course, but you know this character who, it's, it's a form of defensiveness, you know, because rather than like, sharing or um, just allowing, kind of being transparent into, uh, this is, you know, again, we're not saying it's this easy, that there's not OPSEC, that there's not PERSEC, that there's not any of that shit. That's just a given. Nonetheless, um, you know, some of those interrogation tricks often involve... Um, you know, the sharing of, of, um, personal details or, you know, fake personal details. And as one, um, 
we mentioned before, a subscriber pointed out, you know, those, in technique, those techniques involve mimicry as well. So I think that the polarity that, you know, we experience in marriage is, again, it was, we're made to be together. It's complementary. And um, in my view, you know, I guess I'm, the strange thing is that I, I am an optimist in the end. I just believe that there's a right way and a wrong way, and we're completely, um, we have our head, heads up our asses in terms of which is which. But the right way currently, you know, if you're going to guide yourself there and keep yourself there over the long term, uh, management skills, you know, these corporate management uh, methods, techniques, in my view, some of this stuff is very useful. Um, and I've sought to pick up bits and pieces of it, even though I sort of despise managers in general due to my extreme ambivalence towards order. But I despise and, you know, make war against uh, corporate management. And the second that I whiff the notion being put forward that our relationship is anything other than... um, you know, mercenary on my part and uh, usurious on the part of the the employer. I mean, fuck you. You know, I'm out. That's just to say that there's this balance to be struck between all of these things. Like some of this stuff is obviously a little bit mushy uh, for the warlord, you know, when you're negotiating... Um, arms for hostages, you know, or what have you. But that corporate stuff to me is just patently, inherently dehumanizing and demonic. So I don't, I don't fuck with any of it. All right. So this list is, you know, be a plight, be appreciative. Don't let things build up. The real key here that I want to emphasize is if you do this with your partner, or even if you do this in a you know negotiation sort of sort of scenario, the keys are to create like a sacred space almost. Like refer back to Eliade, refer back to our mention of your salvation is within your marriage. You need to almost create an otherworldly sense so that the defensiveness that which which we live with virtually all the time. I mean, if you go into Safeway, God knows what could happen to you. If you go into fucking T-Mobile, H&R Block, you just walk down the street or drive down the highway, it's completely ridiculous to think that you're not going to be on the defensive. Um, that's what we're living in. We're living in, you know, a giant gulag reservation where I'll be goddamned if I'm going to, you know, one, I don't want to be, I don't want to attract any heat unnecessarily. But um, I'm also not just going to bumble over and, you know, be the first guy off the cliff if I can avoid it. So this defensiveness is understandable. And, you know, consider the people that are unaware of all this sort of discussion. Well, I mean, their defensiveness is, is not even acknowledged. It's not even, there's no awareness that 
that it's there or that it's useful and they can't dial it back and it's totally fucked. So to start to soften the edges, which is another thing that Gottman really emphasizes is like taking a soft approach at the beginning. And I have, you know, personally, this is not really my nature. Um, It may be your nature and you are blessed, sir, if it is, because that soft approach, you know, you can always go back to hard if need be. But I think that the, you know, that's an area that I need improvement on personally, will probably always need improvement on. But um, it's not as if, in my view, I think if you're doing this right and you're creating a division, a distinction between the usual push-pull, you know, um, hellscape in which we live in to even your home, well, that's one transition. And then within your home um, to yet another level of, I guess the words would be like trust, communication, intimacy, and, and those sorts of things. And it goes without saying that one of the great... Um, blows that was struck to our our species now by feminism was you know the sort of calcification um, process that took place when women were tossed out into the workplace and told to be men and that if they can't do that then they're all you know they suck and they also aren't very good well now all of a sudden because they're not home their motherhood is kind of lagging it's like the defensiveness that would necessarily built, be built up in a female after having undergone that is is if you if you're not a complete um, spurg is kind of self-evident. And believe me, you know I'm I'm like three quarters spurg myself, so I empathize. But it it the point was it should go without saying that. We're already dealing with some, you know, what do you want to call them, vulnerability issues. And that actually works out on both sides. Um, Because the male, you know, insofar as his sort of provisional um, role as provider is constantly undermined, and I mean constantly undermined. I mean, it's undermined in movies. It's undermined by the financial system, by the immigration system, by the family courts. Um, and then, you know, and many, many, many others. But then most crucially and almost the hardest to identify is the way that all of those institutions or organizations or media feed back on each other to become a kind of normalization that is fucking again insidious and diabolical and it's going to make a dude defensive so you can see how if we are tasked with moving forward and hopefully we don't end up you know the guy in the road with the wife who's like good luck but we end up with somebody who can go the distance I guess, you know, it's understandable at the point that 
babies are being cannibalized and the fucking sun is blotted out. I mean, there's going to be a lot of motherfuckers that talk a lot of shit now, but will be falling into the ditch. So, assuming we do not, you know, exceed, I don't know, like Soviet uh, or Great Awakening sort of levels of... uh, suffering, upheaval, collapse, civil war, what the fuck ever. And people made it through those. And so we're not going to get there unless we can preserve, one, whatever it is that we want to fight for. Presumably, you know, the sorge, the appreciation, the good things about yourself and the people around you, the love that you have for your family and your children, your wives. Um, couple that, those four last statements with my, I hope, you know, pretty austere discussion of the warrior's way because that's my understanding of the man's true metaphysical and sort of um, the way that the world integrates on all levels. Uh, my point being, all of that love exists within, you know, the, the figure, the hero, who can maybe devote himself for six months to perfect walking. You know, something as methodical and tedious and obsessive even as you know this level of of austerity um, devotion maniacal kind of um, war and and you can expand that out you know the man who is seeking right now and spending a million dollars or more to create the next perfect wildcat caliber you know and he's up to his ass in debt and um, absolutely in belief he's going he's gonna to make the perfect fucking round and this is going to change the face of everything. Well, you know, whatever you, wherever you fall on that, you know, I'm personally gathering up green uh, aether fire in the form of personal power, you know, storing it in a fucking metaphysical vault where I have my own transactional system with daemons and weird uh, smugglers of all sorts and it's like a whole world wherever you are on this uh, spectrum of possibility and I think I'm pretty far out there and you may be too it never is going to change the fact that um, you know I'll kill and die for my kids and that's that so the steps before killing and dying for your kids, in my opinion, are as available to the austerity of the warrior's way and potentially, um, you know, they're not as attractive, but they may be more realistic or more important um, because I have found personally that, you know, when crisis strikes, there is this 
thing a trauma bond right where it's kind of like all of the extraneous shit has been removed and this person is just going to tell you how it is and that one's going to tell you how it is but that does not ensure survival and maybe nothing you know ultimately ensures the survival but my efforts in you know supplying this for you guys is that it are born out of the belief that while you can give your life away and that might make you a hero and in some categories that makes you a warrior you didn't fucking win so you call me a soldier you call me a warrior you call me a loser and a fucking hobo it doesn't matter winning um, in this particular context of severe ambiguity severe uncertainty and um, cloaked malfeasance of fucking all sorts and in really way in in many ways um, of a certain variety that we probably haven't seen since biblical times then um, you know that's my approach so we'll wind it up there 120 and uh you know subscribers you guys hang on we'll be back with another segment for those of you who may be considering subscribing to this podcast i would encourage you to do so please do my efforts are you know transparent i am attempting to build a system of multiple revenue streams that can and will support my family. Should one of those go down, there will be others in place. I encourage you to do this as well. It's one of the many strategies that is available to us at this point on the financial, you know, push-pull fucking mercantile level. Um, and I'd greatly appreciate it. If you don't want to and you, you want to put the word out, you don't have the five bucks, I understand. I would appreciate, you know, a mention on Twitter, a mention on Instagram or, or what have you. Or a share, you know. That's actually really appreciated. So that's it for this first free hour of the Warhorse Podcast, episode 17. Thanks very much. <laughs>